We're going to start a new series on the family this morning. Uh, I, I pr- this is the one year. I've never done it in my whole life as a preacher. This year I decided I'm going to plan out all of my sermons for the whole year. And then, of course, six weeks go by and I don't have, can't do my plan anymore. Uh, I should have just done my usual thing. The, so we're going to do this series. I had this series planned for a while now, and it sort of got put on the back burner. Uh, but we're here now, so we're going to do it. We're going to talk about the family. Uh, we're going to do eight weeks, I think, on this. I'm not going to read all these out. You can look at them on the screen, uh, the, the topics that we're going to go over over the next few weeks. Uh, a lot of different subjects, a lot of different topics. And my goal in this series uh, is to cover all different parts of the family, right? So some of these sermons are going to be more directed at parents or maybe even particular husbands or wives, or, and, and some are going to be directed at children and maybe grandchildren and maybe extended family. Uh, but we're going to cover the broad gamut over the next few weeks of roles in the family, how God in, intends the family to work, what the family should be doing, how it should be working, and, and ultimately why. Why did God make it this way as opposed to any other way? So you can see what we're going to be covering as we go through this series. We're going to begin uh, today on the ideal form that God intended for human families. Now, I have a disclaimer before we get in. Your family might not look like this. What we're going to look at is the way God intended it to be. But, you know, guess what? Scripture often presents an ideal that we strive for and not the one that we've achieved, right? This is true not just of of groups, but definitely of individuals. We fall short of God's intended design in some way. As an individual, you think about the sin that you have in your life. You've fallen short of God's design because he designed you to be a certain way, to operate a certain way, to do certain things, to think a certain way. As groups, we also fall short, right? Maybe we can think about age groups, either the younger people or the older people. We can think about families, maybe even as a congregation, right? God designed the congregation to to function a certain way, to have certain positions and certain roles and, and the way that we relate to one another and the thing that we're doing. So as we go through this lesson today, yes, maybe your family doesn't look like what I'm going to talk about. That's in some ways to be expected because we live in a fallen world and we are all fallen, right? So it's not that I'm I'm trying to make people feel bad about the way your family is. On the other hand, Scripture does present what God views as the ideal. So we're going to present what we should be striving for. And we're all in different, we're all, how do I say that? We are all working toward that from a different position, right? We all come from different backgrounds. We have different histories. We've done different things in the past. You, you had your life and I had my life. And, and when we became Christians, the problems didn't all go away, did they? Unfortunately. It's not like you become a Christian and then God magically makes your life exactly how it should be. So as we're going to come and look at these scriptures that God has given to us to show us what he designed the family to be, Understand that, yes, maybe your family doesn't look like this. I'm not trying to single you out, but I am highlighting this is what we're working toward, right? And we're all working toward it together. Now, over the course of this series, we are going to talk about what do I do when I find myself in a messy, complicated situation and no easy way out? A guy, see the ideal that God's presented in Scripture, the way my family's supposed to be? What do I do if my family's not like that? Well, we'll talk about that as we go through this series. We're not going to talk about it today, but we'll talk about that. How do I, how do I make things better? Right? We're going we're gonna to see that over the next eight weeks. Now, God's intended design for the family begins with marriage. And when I say begins, 
I mean begins, because this is really early on in the biblical narrative, right? Genesis 2, 18 through 25, this is a long text, we'll read it all at once. The Lord God, actually I'll make some comments as we go through. The Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone, I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord, uh, Lord God had formed every beast of the field, every bird of the heavens, brought them uh, to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave beast, uh, names to all the livestock and the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. And, and we can see what's going on here, right? God makes everything. This is a zoom in, uh, if you look at the Genesis account, Genesis 1 through 3, Genesis 1 sort of overlays the whole creation. Genesis 2 zooms in on a particular aspect of that creation. And we see that Adam did not have a helper fit, right? So the Lord God caused the deep sleep to fall upon the man. While he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. The rib that the Lord God brought from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last, I like the at last. The at last is, is my favorite part of this text. Because you think about what Adam's been doing. He's named all the animals. I don't know how many animals that was. Maybe we have some, uh, some deviation in, in different subspecies over the course of time. However many animals that God was, uh, had made originally that Adam was naming. This at last, finally, someone for me, right? The relief. He's relieved. He's happy. He's glad. Oh, thank you, God, for making somebody for me, right? This is not a, a burden. This is not a, a, a bad thing. He is excited. At last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and not ashamed. Now, we see a couple of things in this text. I keep wanting to wonder. I've got to really tone it back. Uh, the man, uh, from, from when is this written? Of course, Moses is writing this thousands of years later, right? This is not written at the time it was happening. Uh, Moses is writing this account of creation for the children of Israel, for people throughout history. Uh, he's recording this through inspiration, right? And Moses is choosing, the Holy Spirit is choosing through Moses to highlight a couple of interesting things. One, we see again the relief, the joy that Adam experiences. The, the thing at the end there, the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. That's from the original intent, right? The original design is that there would be no shame in that because that's part of the original intent is the idea of the, the nakedness, right? And we could think about how that practically applies. Sexual fulfillment. That happens before, I think, before sin. Right? It's part of God's original intent. Man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. They will be one flesh. Right? So we see some things at the beginning here. Now, Jesus repeats these. Matthew 19, 3 through 6. Uh, the Pharisees came to him and tested him by asking, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? Now, we're not going to talk about teaching on divorce. I want to focus on Jesus' answer about marriage. He answered, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. That line, often at weddings, right, comes directly from... Jesus, what God has joined, let not man separate. And again, what is Jesus using to make that point? Creation, 
all the way back to the beginning. God designed humanity from the very beginning of our existence to exist in these pairs, right? The pairs of the man and the woman, this marriage relationship. This is not something that God came up with later. This was from the beginning. So, children then were obviously always part of that plan too, right? Again, back in Genesis 1, 26 through 28, this is back in the, the overall view of, of the creation account. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And you think to yourself, wait, I thought he made... Man, uh, woman in Genesis 2. That's my point, right? Genesis 1 gives us the overall view of creation, and then Genesis 2 zooms in on a particular aspect of that creation. So in the overall view, okay, male and female, he created them, and God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens and every living thing that moves on the earth. Again, from the beginning, what's the plan? Have kids, right? That's the multiply, in case you're not figuring that out. That's the multiplying part, is you have two people who are going to make more people. So from the very beginning, again, we're seeing some core identity of the family. We have the marriage relationship, and we have offspring. We have children that are, that are in part of this from the beginning, this design for the family. So we can start building a list. God designed humans to operate in families, right? And what did he say to Adam? It is not good that man should be alone. Now, some people figure it out. The best example of this, of course, is Paul, who never married, as far as we know, and in fact says in several places in the New Testament, you know, it might be better if people would not get married so that they could devote more time to their service to the Lord. So Paul figured it out. But that is, I think, the exception, not the rule, right? Because God knows from the beginning that he designed us to be in these family units, even though some people, some people do figure out how to do it by themselves, live life without any fa uh, immediate family or, or marriage or children, and, and that's fine. If you can do it, then it's good for you, as Paul says, exactly that. But most of us are going to operate in these family units, beginning with the marriage relationship, of course, companionship and sexual fulfillment and also procreation. But even early on, we see a point to the process of raising children. God didn't just leave it up to us, hey, raise your kids however you like, don't worry about it, right? But there's some instruction here. Genesis 4, 1 through 4. Again, this is way early on, right? This is not something that came later. Genesis 4, 1 through 4. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. I've, I've had a kid, is what she's saying there. Weird phrasing, but we don't talk like that. But I've, I've, I've had a child. Again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit from the ground, and Abel brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. Adam and Eve, now there's a couple of ways this could have gone, but they didn't just leave Cain and Abel to their own devices. Somehow... Cain and Abel knew they needed to make offerings to the Lord. You think they just learned that by osmosis? Uh, maybe God just beamed the knowledge directly into their minds. I don't think that's what happened. I think what probably happened is what? Adam and Eve told Cain and Abel about the Lord. And told them you should be... Because they wouldn't just come up with that. <laughs> Cain and Abel are not just going to come up with that on their own. They're going to receive that knowledge 
from their parents, from, from Adam and Eve, who knew the Lord, of course, right? They've had interactions with the Lord from the very beginning, and God's had a very personal connection with Adam and Eve and talking to them directly and ultimately casting them out. That wasn't a great thing, but Cain and Abel had to learn from somewhere who this person is, this being is that I'm offering sacrifices to, and, and what that should look like. What should those sacrifices look like? They wouldn't just make that up. They got it from their parents who taught them about God. Now, of course, Deuteronomy 4, more explicit as we get into the covenant of Moses and carrying into the new covenant as well. Only take care and keep your soul diligently lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children how on the day that you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb, the Lord said to me, Gather the people to me that I may let them hear my words so they may learn to fear me all the days they live on the earth and that they may teach their children so. Again, we see examples of this very early on repeated as we go into the new covenant, which we'll talk about in a moment. God never just intended parents to let their children just figure it out. It was always part of God's design that parents teach their children we teach them how to walk we teach them how to eat we teach them how to tie their shoes i don't know they didn't do that tie their sandals maybe uh, we teach them how to control their emotions because we, we don't want people to just go around living on impulse all the time we teach them how to do whatever anything you want to put in there that we teach our children as part of God's intended design, how people become functioning members of society, well, that was supposed to be through the home. And part of that would be teaching your children about the Lord. The family unit is supposed to point each member back to God. Parents do this for each other. Children do this for their parents, too, also. But parents, of course, do this more directly for their children. This is God's original intent, that the family would fulfill relational, physical, and spiritual needs while ultimately continuing the human race, right? So let's read the most obvious text. We'll read this text and talk about it a little bit. We're not going to talk about it a lot today, but I just want to read the obvious one from the New Testament. Uh, but note as we read this that it's just reinforcing the ideas from the beginning of creation. Ephesians 5, through 6, 4. Uh, and again, we're thinking about what? God's ideal design for the family. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so the wives should submit and everything to their husbands. Okay, so we're talking to wives here. Husbands, what about you guys? Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish, in the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. And he keeps talking about the husbands. Husbands, you have much more instruction than the wives. He who loves his wife loves himself, but no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Where is he quoting that from? Isn't he quoting that from Genesis? Way back at the beginning? Again, Paul's instructions to the New Testament church just reinforce what God designed at the beginning. 
This mystery is profound. I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. What about children? Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. He's quoting way back in the, in the foundation of Israel, right? This is not a new idea for the New Testament. This is a repeating of the same idea that it may go well with you, that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. This is it. This is how families are supposed to look. Now, as I said at the beginning, this is the ideal. Everybody's family fails to measure up in some way. Because you're not God. You're not Jesus. You're not perfect. Husbands, I know you don't treat your wives like this all the time. Wives, I know you don't treat your husbands like this all the time. Children, I know you don't obey your parents all the time. Right? We all fail in some way. The point is not to get into a measuring of, well, how much do I compare versus how much this other family compares. That's not the point. That's never been the point. The point is not, am I doing better than you? The point is what? How can I make my family look more like this? That's the point. And there's going to be some complications in that because sin always invites complications. It always makes life messy and difficult. And how do I fulfill these commands when my life is in X, Y, or Z circumstance? Well, we'll talk about some of that. But this is what we're striving for. And hopefully we can attain it together. So, let's conclude our lesson. Oh yeah, we are going to get done early because we didn't have as many songs. God designed the family to fulfill human need. This is the point of the family. To fulfill human need right? In the marriage relationship, we see what? We see companionship and friendship. Those are human needs, right? God, uh, God says Adam shouldn't be alone, and, and Adam says what? Oh, finally, bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh, right? Companionship there. Physical satisfaction, ultimately the sexual relationship, which also leads to procreation, right? It's almost like God knew what he was doing when he designed us, so it all works together, fits the same way, but also spiritual growth, and we're going to see this as we go through our series. Uh, Paul doesn't talk about it as much in Ephesians, uh, but there are several passages in the New Testament that specifically highlight how each spouse is supposed to help the other spouse be closer to God, ultimately. And, and he made some comparison to that in Ephesians 5. We see what? In the parent-child relationship, what needs are being met? Well, of course, parents are supposed to provide physical needs, for their children. Uh, and then, of course, it's interesting, as we, we didn't read this, but we know the text, maybe. This swaps later in life, doesn't it? That early on, of course, parents are providing physical needs for the children, but you know what? Later in life, as life goes on, eventually that turns around and the children start providing physical needs for the parents. Social, emotional, spiritual growth, teaching and modeling righteousness to the children. And this is what I want to stress in particular for parents in the audience today, the home should be the primary source of spiritual te teaching and growth. Actually, the home should be the primary source of all teaching and growth. Yes, we send our kids off to school, and that's fine. But parents, you need to be talking with your children about what they learned at school, right? And we know this. We know this because of years of study Children with poor home lives 
do worse in school. The home is the center of children's growth. Now, of course, you think about all the things that you teach them. Maybe you're not teaching them math and English, but you did teach them English because they learned how to talk, right? Maybe you're not teaching them math, but you did teach them math because you taught them how to count. And ultimately, don't rely on your Bible class teacher two hours a week to teach them the Bible because they need to learn it from you. They need to see it in the way that you live. That's how they learn to walk, isn't it? They saw you walking, and they thought, oh, I could do that, and they figured it out. They started walking. Now, maybe you held their hand, but they ultimately learned it from seeing it from you. Same thing with Christianity, spirituality. They copy you. If they don't see you living righteously at home, they're not going to grow up to live righteously. That's not how it works. The home is the primary source of spiritual teaching and growth, just like it is emotional and social teaching. Think about how we teach our children to treat other people. Again, that happens at part at school, but really it happens at the home because the parents enforce the rules, right? You can't just hit people if you don't like them. Well, that, they learn that from their parents, hopefully. Although if they see that that's what mom and dad do, that's what they're going to do, right? The ability of the family to meet these needs. We can think about spiritual, physical, emotional, social needs. The ability of the family to meet these needs diminishes the farther from God's original design we get. Just is what it is. It's not impossible, and I want to very strongly stress this. If your family does not fit exactly the model that God has laid out, it's not impossible to fulfill the job of, of teaching your children, of helping them grow, right? It's not impossible, but it becomes much harder the further from God's design, the marriage and the, and the children use as a cohesive unit, the further from that design we get, the harder it becomes to do the things that we've talked about today. We'll talk about how to do it when we have messy, complicated situations, but ultimately we're trying to make our family look like this, the way that God intended it to be. 